We are back, and standing by to join us in the next segment is author Peter Zoitland. He's got this great book called Rescued. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Janine. Thank you for calling in from my other home, Massachusetts. (laughs) My pleasure. (laughs) So funny. Small world. Yes, ma'am. Tell me about how you decided to write this book. Well, this book and my previous book, Rescue Road, came about because I suddenly found myself with a rescue dog after more than 20 years of ardent opposition to having a family dog for reasons I could explain, but I I eventually succumbed, and in 2012, we adopted just an adorable three-year-old yellow lab mix who was in a high-kill shelter in Louisiana, and that set me on the road to learning more about, you know, the circumstances in which Dogs like Albie, that's his name, mm-hmm. um, dogs like Albie find themselves. Uh, countless, hundreds of thousands of dogs find themselves in the same straits as Albie. And I wanted to know more about the process by which he came to us and why the problems seem to be so severe in certain parts of the country. And that led to the first book, and that first book sort of um, explored the whole rescue process and ended with dogs literally being put into the arms of their new families, and the new book, Rescued, in a sense, picks up the story from that point on. It's, it's all about living with these um, you know, second-chance dogs and, and what they draw from us and what we get back from them. Um, so it was really, in some ways, these books are both a tribute to, to Albie, I suppose. I love it. I do want to add, I was reading some of the literature that came along with your book, Peter, and this interesting, um, some facts that people might know, know about, that there is an incredible canine overpopulation. 3.3 million new dogs enter the U.S. animal shelters each year. Mm-hmm. That's yes. un- unbelievable. Well, keep in mind, and, and those are the ones that make it to shelters. Um, you can walk through uh, parts of Houston, Texas, and see some of the more than 1 million dogs that live on the streets of Houston. Right. Uh, with no place to call home. And of the dogs that are coming into, into these shelters, we're euthanizing about 700,000 a year. It used to be even worse. The numbers are gradually coming down in terms of the percentages of dogs euthanized. But in some shelters, like, for example, a shelter where Albie was in central Louisiana, the euthanasia rate is still close to 90%. So each of these dogs that makes its way to a forever family like Albie did, there are countless others who don't, and these dogs have to beat very, very long odds to ever find a home of their own. Right. Now, what made you decide to uh, rescue your dog in Louisiana rather than a local breeder or pet store? Well, it's interesting. You know, when, when I finally succumbed and agreed with my wife, Judy, that we could get a dog, I, I was clueless. I mean, <laughs> if you had asked me what a rescue dog was, and I'm, I'm serious, mm-hmm. the image that jumped to my mind was a St. Bernard in the Alps, uh, <laughs> looking for skiers buried right. under snow. I had no clue. And, um, but once I learned a little bit, bit about it, and I've, I think by nature I'm a little bit predisposed towards underdogs in all, in all ways, mm-hmm. and it seemed like a no-brainer once I realized that there were so many wonderful dogs out there who through no fault of their own were in dire straits, some, many of them on death row, so why, you know, for me personally, I couldn't justify just going out and, and buying a dog from a breeder. You know, I had a little eight-year-old girl 
say to me, you know, when you get a dog from a breeder, she said, it's just a random dog and it's not in danger. But when you rescue a dog, you save their life. An eight-year-old said this. An eight-year-old, you know, Mm. out of the words of the mouths of babes. Um, And that seems so wise to me. Um, And I don't begrudge people if they go a different route, but I strongly urge them to consider the fact that a lot of what they may think about shelter dogs, and and I shared those beliefs, are are myths, um, that these dogs are damaged goods or that they will necessarily come with behavioral problems or out-of-control anxieties. Any dog that comes to you, is an individual, wherever it comes from. Mm -hmm. And it may have anxieties and fears that take patience and compassion uh, to overcome, but there are so many dogs like Albie out there, and I tell many of their stories in the new book. Um, And so, you know, people will say to me, why adopt a rescue dog? Rather than, you know, take off a list of reasons, I tell them a few short stories about dogs like Albie and a dog named Stormy, um, who was found in a shoebox during Hurricane Harvey in Houston, a very sick puppy. And just last Thursday, a doctor from North Carolina, who's also a pilot, flew down and adopted her. Um, And so, you know, with so many dogs like this out there who just just make wonderful companions, why not save a life? I agree. um, If you can. I agree. As a side note, when I was living in Brookline, I was a cat person because, uh, you know, sometimes we find ourselves in situations where you don't think you're going to adopt an animal and it just comes <laughs> to you. And one I saved, it ran into a building and it was emaciated and it kind of adopted me. And then the other, I went to a shelter and I adopted an older cat that had been abused. So I think it's wonderful to, to go to these shelters to, you know, rescue these animals. Well, you know, I think animal. also when I look at Albie, for example, and him happily running through the woods or sleeping mm-hmm. contentedly, you know, by a fire. And I think what could have been for him. That's right. Um, how on any one of a hundred days he could have been, you know, put down. And to me it makes the relationship that I have with him so much more poignant and meaningful and rich to know that because we stepped up, he, he got a second chance. Now, one of the things you talk about are the great joys of you rescue a dog and that moment when you realize that they're finally mm-hmm. feeling at home. What is that mm-hmm. like? Well, for us, it was a very specific moment, and I asked a lot of people that I interviewed for the book this exact question. You know, was there a moment when you realized your dog was telling you he finally or she finally was at home? Mm-hmm. When Albie first came to us for the first several weeks, we couldn't even coax him upstairs. We thought maybe he'd never lived in a house with stairs. We didn't know, but he slept underneath the coffee table oh. in the living room like a little den. And it was about, I don't know, five or six weeks later that I came upstairs, and there he was lying in our bed. And I thought, this is <laughs> cute. Literally and figuratively, his leap of faith. And I thought, he's telling us, you're my family, this is my home, and I feel safe and secure. Um, so, you know, for some dogs, they'll acclimate right away. They'll kind of move right in and make themselves at home. Yes. Um, some may take a little longer. Some may be very subtle, but I think that was really Albie's moment of telling us I'm home. How have you changed through all of this? Because I know you said up front you weren't a dog person. You know, I loved dogs as long as they were someone else's dogs. Right. Um, I mean, I did grow up with a dog, interestingly enough. How have I changed? Well, I'm less obsessive. Mm-hmm. about 
the House. I mean, that was one of my concerns, as trivial as it may seem, going in was that I do a lot of the housework in our house, and I thought, oh, my gosh, it's going to be muddy paws and fur balls and, you know. Oh, yeah. And bitter winter mornings in New England to walk a dog. And so I've, I've, I've had to become less obsessive. I think also dogs in general compel us to live a little bit more in the moment because they live in the moment. Uh, you know, they don't dwell on the past. They don't worry about the future. And I think we all strive to be a little bit more mindful about our time and, and, and to be more present. And it's not a, a panacea. I'm not all of a sudden Mr. Mellow always in the moment. But the dogs, you know, sort of bring me back when I'm, I am sort of out there in my own thoughts or worried about something and it's time to go for a walk. So we head to the woods. And to me, that's very therapeutic. You know, they, they compel us to live more in the moment. I love it. Where can people find out more about you, Peter? Well, I do have a website. It's my name. It's Peter and then Z-H-E-U-T-L-I-N, com, And you'll find information about the books and upcoming events and a little more, more about me as well. And I do want to mention you're author of the New York Times bestseller, Rescue Road, and you're a very accomplished freelance journalist, and your work has appeared in the Boston Globe and the Christian Science Monitor. And as you said, I think you said you're on uh, Facebook, you're on Instagram, and it's yep. peterzoitlin.com. Right. Thank you so much for calling in. This has been really great. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Janine. Bye-bye. That was Peter Zoitlin calling in to talk about his book, Rescued. What Second Chance Dogs Teach Us About Living with Purpose, Loving with Abandon, and Finding Joy in the Little Things. If you missed any part of this, all the inf information about this book is up on the show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And uh, one more guest calling in. Tim Federley is going to talk about his book, Life is Like a Musical. I do want to mention that KUCI is on Twitter at KUCI-FM, as am I. Moms, M-O-M-Z underscore rock. And uh, KUCI is on Instagram at KUCI-FM, Tumblr, blog.kuci.org, and Facebook, KUCI 88.9. We will take a mini break, and then we'll be back with my last guest. <laughs> 